Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. I'm a former libertarian who now sits pretty comfortably on the left. Hi, I'm Danielle Moody, former educator and recovering lobbyist. But today I'm an unapologetic woke commentator on America's threats to democracy. And I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with some of the most knowledgeable and entertaining people in politics, media, and beyond. Our goal is to try and make sense of our current crazy world, our new abnormal, and hopefully even make you laugh through the tears. We are off for the holiday, but that doesn't mean we didn't tape you an amazing show beforehand. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by the Daily Beast, The Last Laugh host, Matt Wilstein, who's going to talk to us about the year in political comedy. And me, him, and Andy have a really fun chat. But first, let's have some fun. Are you guys ready to listen to some clips one last time this year? Yes, God. (laughs) I will top your yes, God with a hell yeah. (laughs) So while we were just taping another segment, Lauren Boebert decide to start a fight with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I want you guys to hear it. Oh, what? No way. Someone who we all respect, Marjorie Taylor Greene, says Kevin McCarthy is going to be a great speaker. I, I guess you'll have to ask Marjorie about that. I'm, I'm a fan of hers. I'm an admirer, but it's not something we see the same. Lauren? Uh, well, you know, I, I've been um, aligned with Marjorie and accused of believing a lot of the things that she believes in. I don't believe in this, just like um, I don't believe in Russian space so lasers. Are, are you a hard no? Space lasers <laughs> okay. and all of this. No, I, I'm just saying we, we need to actually have an inside conversation okay. and, and, and make sure that these promises are there. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> This is the happiest I have been in months. <laughs> yeah. The fact that there are two Republican members of Congress arguing about Jewish space lasers, this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is amazing. It's the giddiness I feel right now. I'm like, did you just call her a fucking idiot without <laughs> saying that she's a fucking idiot and that you agree with some things, but like, oh, I don't re- agree with that because that sounds crazy because she is fucking crazy. But if Lauren Boebert thinks you're an idiot, like Woo. you are off the scale. If Lauren, <laughs> even Lauren Boebert can sit there and go, yeah, she's stupid. That's just unbelievable. This would be a good death matchup. <laughs> oh, what do they call it? A cage match. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. like to see this one. <laughs> see, see, I see this as that thing that like every uh, teen movie shows, like the Mean Girls, the, the, the Heathers, that like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in the top dogs, they can never handle one being seen as higher than the other. Just try to bring her back a peg back to her level. I love this. Also love the reference to Heathers. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. My fave. <laughs> great movie. Yeah. Great I'd movie. like to see this. You're not a Heather. Yes. Do it, Lauren Bober. Do it. <laughs> okay. 
So I feel like this weekend really was um, Carrie Lake's her Hail Mary. Now that she lost this election, she's like, she had her her eyes on being in Mr. Trump's life. You know, she wanted to be his vice president. And she's seeing that, you know, it's hard to do when you haven't won an election. So she's really trying to culture war her way there. So I had about seven clips to choose from, but I, I settled on this one on what I... Well, I'll be honest. I mostly thought this would be the one that would make Danielle the baddest, so that's how I chose it. <laughs> I know that the people in this room are some of the most brave, courageous people in all of America. Because we know how difficult the times that we're living in are right now. We know how difficult it is to be common sense patriots. But the people in this room had to come out twice. Right? And how many of you would say it was harder to it's harder to be a conservative and come out as a than it was to be gay and come out? We're gonna win. So I appreciate that patriotism and that bravery. We need some brave people right now. And that's what we need more than anything. People who are willing to stand up, do the right thing, speak out. And we have some of the bravest, most patriotic people in this room, and I love each and every one of you. I actually had to come out as well. Okay, now the media's like, oh my God, Carrie Lake is gay, what? <laughs> no, but when you work in the media, and if you're fair and honest in the media, you don't put your politics front and center, you keep it in. And so when I walked away from the media, and I was unshackled from that restriction of speaking my mind, and jumped into politics and could finally speak my mind, it was the most freeing, liberating thing ever. Greatest <laughs> thing ever. So I'm going to send you <laughs> my doctor bill for my blood pressure. <laughs> if this is the type of shit you want to put in the clips, Jesse. <laughs> I should, should have noted that she's speaking to the log cabin Republicans here. And they applaud. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they applaud, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yes, it's yes, Carrie. Like, you're so right. It's so hard to be a conservative these days. It's so hard to have a whole network dedicated to your propaganda and bullshit. It's so hard to have like one of your incel idiots running Twitter, the world's town square. It's so hard to be you. God, I hate them so much. It's like, <laughs> at one hand, oh my God, we're so powerful and we know everything. And on the other hand, everybody's so mean to us. Pick one, you punk. Ugh. The thing I love about her the most is, and it's crossing over from hate to love. I, I do, I feel bad saying that, but I'm starting to actually develop a thing for her. Andy? Andy, what, what is, is the this thing? like my Kristen Cinema thing? If you want a new co-host, Andy, if you want Carrie Lake as a new co-host, no, I, I just, I, I really do love the way she is. Uh, she ever since she lost the election that she claimed she didn't lose, she has been fighting really hard for Arizonans by basically moving into Mar-a-Lago in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just unbelievable to me. Like, like it's just so, it's so nakedly obvious she could not give less of a fuck about the people of Arizona and all she wants to do is have a permanent room at Mar-a-Lago and be close to, to Daddy Trump. And it's just... I, I I am finding myself kind of loving her for it. 
because it's just so shameless. It's like beyond any realm of shame. I, I just, it makes me laugh so hard. He hates his own kids. So why would you want Trump to be your daddy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're mistaken which type of daddy. Yeah, she I was going to say, I'm not going to get into what I meant by that. No, but, I know. I know uh, what kind of daddy you I meant. know you know. <laughs> I know. I don't know. think it needs to be spelled out. She, she literally, one of those speeches said, said that, she, that she likes him more than her husband. Yeah, it's just like I said, it's beyond shameless. Like what she's doing is just beyond shameless. And there's something there. That's all I'm saying. I think I could fix her. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave up on Kristen Cinema. So I, th- I suggest you get there to where I got just as fast as I did. <laughs> I think I have a better chance with Carrie Lake than you have with Kristen Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, okay, okay. I, I, I'm going to get us far away from this land we were just in. I'm going to take us to the cringest man on the right. And I know you're like, which one could it be? Right. But one Benny Johnson spoke at the Turning Point USA conference about his daddy, Ron DeSantis. Oh, Dr. Fauci's resigning. How you like that? Let's pass. This is what my boy had to say about Dr. Fauci just in time for Christmas. And I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the country. (laughs) Who wants to see that elf on Ladies and gentlemen, my pronouns are prosecute. Fauci, come on! Benny Johnson is just pathetic. Like, I don't even know what else to say about Benny Johnson. Just a sad man. And I won't say anything more, but at some point, the truth is going to come out, Benny. Yeah, it's just like the way that they debase themselves for each other. Like, the homoeroticism in in this party is really fucking deep. It really, I mean, I have never seen anything like it. And I will just say this, you know, thou protest too much. <laughs> Okay, I think we both covered that. <laughs> I was just going to say, this really is the sentient version of the Steve Buscemi hello fellow kids meme. No, he really, I, I mean, it's just, it's so sad. Like, I don't know. Again, I can't feel sorry for people like Benny Johnson because they they chose this life. But boy, he's just such a sad person. Mm-hmm. Sad, lonely person. Yeah. Okay, so for our last clip of the year, one Senator Josh Hawley. It's amazing that someone who looks so boyish is always trying to make his brand that he's a man. Mm-mm. But he's going to have some advice for men now. You can give yourself to and pour yourself out to. Young men, let me make a suggestion to you. Why don't you turn off the computer and log off the porn and go ask a real woman on a date? How about that? Just a thought. Ask her out. Young men, why don't you be the ones who do the asking? How about that? Don't wait for her. You go ask. Show her a little respect. And then you take her out and you treat her right. How about that? Don't make her cater to your whims. Treat her right. Treat her right. Treat her like she, what she is, a woman. A person of incredible significance created in the image of God. And you know what? You treat her right. And then one day you do her the honor and show her the respect of asking her to marry you. And then you go get married and you have children. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> you know, when all my female friends tell me we had dating conservative men, you know what they always talk about? How are they treated them right? Yeah. <laughs> really? Because the conversation just doesn't go <laughs> energy. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, that too. This is wild. Like, what's the problem that's happening with them? From tanning testicles to go <laughs> ask her out to turn off your computer. Like, I'm just so confused. Like, are they really afraid that there's just not going to be enough mean white babies being born? Like, is that is that the thing? Is that what you all think it is? I don't know. Yeah, also, I, I don't know why he's yelling at Republican voters. <laughs> no, either. I mean, if you do any, like, if you spend five minutes looking at an incel thread on Reddit, they ain't voting for Democrats. <laughs> it's true. They're mm-hmm. not, that, these are not progressives. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, Josh. These are your people. Not that they, they all get radicalized because they talk to the woman. They just talk to them badly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is why they want to subjugate women. I just want to, you know, pull it, pull it back together. This is why they wanted to get rid of abortion. This is why they don't want equal pay. Because, guys, it is the small dick energy. It is the idea that in order to get women to pay attention to you, right, you have to give them no other choice. Shut down every other avenue. And then Josh Hawley seems attractive. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's... Danielle, I have to defend Josh. Look at him run out of the Capitol building. You don't think that was hot? You're right. He has athletic prowess. You're right. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. 
If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part? You can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with Better help. Get it off your chest with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P dot com slash the new abnormal. And now we have our annual The Daily Beast Last Laugh and New Abnormal crossover episode with the Last Laugh host, Matt Wilstein. Andy, what's going on? Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad we're getting to do this. Finally, I've been been wanting to talk to you on our respective podcasts for a while. I've been enjoying your work this year on New Abnormal. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I was always, I think I even mentioned it to Jesse once. I was like, after like my third time where I was doing like these sort of comedy people on, on the Sunday shows, I was like, oh shit, am I stepping on Matt's toes here? Yeah, I was like, someone's on my corner, but I'm enjoying it enough that it's I okay. Know. <laughs> I felt kind of bad about that, but then I kept doing it. So I guess that tells you a little something about me. <laughs> so, so Andy, it's kind of fortuitous that we're talking at this moment. I think people will be hearing it a little bit later, but as we speak, it's the morning after Dave Chappelle ended his big tour by inviting none other than Elon Musk up on stage for no apparent reason other than to get booed by a huge San Francisco crowd. I saw that late last night before I went to sleep. The video hadn't come out yet, but and I was like, uh, I'm not sure if I believe this because there was no video and everyone was like, oh, well, I guess Chappelle does that thing where the phones have to be placed in bags or whatever. Pouches, yeah. Yeah, the pouches. So I was like, I'm not going to retweet this or talk about it because maybe by the morning it will be debunked. And then I got up and saw that not only had it not been debunked and that even more people who were in the crowd had come forward, but someone had, I guess, managed to take some video of it. And I just laughed. Make some noise for the richest man in the world. video of Elon getting up on stage, getting booed, not knowing at all how to handle it, kind of like pleading with Chappelle to do something. Chappelle pretty much leaves him hanging for a while. Very awkward. Well, that's the thing. And I was trying to figure out like what you said. I don't know why. I mean, I guess Chappelle brought him up because he's Elon Musk, whatever. He's one of the most famous people in the world. Or Chappelle knows what would happen today as we'd all be talking about it. Well, yes, absolutely. That's a really good point. But like you said, Chappelle kind of left him out there, just hung him out to dry. And I was like, was that his intent? (laughs) I don't know. What did he think was going to happen? I don't know. Maybe he thought they were in San Francisco and maybe Chappelle was like, oh, they love Elon Musk here in San Francisco. (laughs) This is going to be great. What do you know? The guy who just let most of his workforce go gets booed by a crowd. And then Chappelle says something which is just unbelievable. He says, oh, 
I noticed most of the people who are booing are sitting in the back. Yeah. And it's like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, they're the poor people in the audience? Like, I think so. Yeah, I think that's where he was going with that. Like, what is wrong with you? The whole thing is just, it's amazing from start to finish. And it couldn't have happened to two nicer guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are sort of the two figures of the year if we're talking about political comedy, sort of the state of comedy. I think Chappelle and Elon Musk coming together at the end of the year really couldn't be more perfect. Yeah, I mean, one thing before before we move on from that story that I just wanted to point out is the person who tweeted out the video, the original video, and I don't know how they got their phone out of the pouch, but that person's Twitter account no longer exists. So right. huh. I have a feeling that Chappelle and or Elon got together and nuked that account, which is pretty messed up as well. Jesse, were you jumping in there? I was going to say it's very easy to free your phone from the pouch, but I don't want to implicate myself in a legal thing. Oh, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> to pick up with what Matt said, it's like, yeah, I mean, what better symbol of Musk's supposed belief in free speech <laughs> yeah. is there? Than him, than the social media network he owns, yanking the account of someone who posted a video of him, not in his best moment. But of course, now he's, I saw Musk tweeted that he was like, well, actually, it was 90% cheers and only 10% booze. Yeah, which also just shows how delusional he is. God, he really is. He's like the bizarro drill. And <laughs> yeah. one of the most over done things on Twitter is to put up the drill tweet that perfectly makes fun of the thing that someone's doing. And it's overdone because drill is some kind of insane genius. But it really is amazing that every time you see something like this, like your first thought is like, oh, this is just like that drill tweet. And then he comes out and he does this and you're just like, what are you doing to yourself, man? It's, it's like, it is absolutely amazing. And you just see the mindset of someone who's been surrounded by yes men for like his whole adult life. He has literally no idea how to act when people aren't kowtowing to him and saying, oh my God, oh, you're so funny. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, what a great idea. He has literally no idea how to act. And it's amazing. And speaking of people who we've both had on our shows now, Patton Oswald, who I really enjoyed your conversation with him. And then I talked to him, I think, a few weeks after that. And we were talking about how Elon, that it all is kind of explained by the fact that Elon just wants to be a comedian. He right. desperately wants to be funny and seen as funny. And that's why he brought a sink to the office on the first day, which was baffling. And that's why he's tweeting about his, that his pronouns are prosecute Fauci, which was his latest, just outrageous, unfunny. I couldn't believe that one. And that was the morning before he showed up on stage with Chappelle. So it's crazy how much that aspect of it seems to drive him in throwing away his billions of dollars on this project. Yeah. And Patton and I talked about this and it was not the first time it had been brought up, but is, there is this, we're seeing this sort of pipeline of sort of failed open mic comedians or just failed comedians in general to suddenly alt-right. It just sort of seems like, I don't think that Elon is a, I think he would have been a failed open mic comedian had he tried. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Like, that's what he wants. He wants so badly to be funny. And he posts all these memes and they're just, just not funny. But you see the people who do think they're funny. And it is, for some reason, it is all people who love Donald Trump and who think the pronoun joke is just the height of humor. And he is, to a certain extent, he's just playing to his audience now, which I guess any good comedian does. But he is so painfully unfunny. And there are people who aren't 
aren't funny, but at least they know what funny is. That's the majority of people. Like the majority of people in the world aren't <laughs> comedians or don't do comedy for a living. Yeah, I like to think of myself as one of those people. Me too. I mean, you know, I I could never in my life could I do stand up, but I can recognize someone who's really good at it. And he doesn't have that. Like he doesn't even have that ability to know what funny is. He's just locked out completely. And he wants so badly to be in the club. And and it turns out that the only people who think that he is funny are the people who, like him, not only aren't funny, but have no idea what funny is. So they're just peas in a pod. Yeah, there was a great thread that I saw right around when Musk was taking over Twitter that I believe it was Parker Malloy, the journalist who posted it, which was all of these tweets from Elon over the years, starting with sort of ones where he was could tell he was mildly offended by Onion headlines about himself and then switched to only posting Babylon B satire headlines, satire in quotes, that was basically just praising him. And they're just, and it's, it's so what he finds funny is the thing that makes him look good. Yeah. As a general rule of thumb, if you think the Babylon B is funny, you are, you're out of the comedy world. And you have given up any chance or any pretense of ever being funny yourself. And that's exactly where he is right now. But you're right. His idea, like he has no, a thing that almost every funny person shares is the ability to be self-deprecating. And he just does not have that at all. To me, anyway, it's a real blocker from ever being funny. If you can't poke fun at yourself or you can't handle other people making jokes about you, you can't possibly be funny. That's my theory anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of brings us back to Chappelle because he's someone who I have for a long time thought was very funny. I still think he's very funny most of the time, but he does have some of these blocks of not maybe seeing himself or being quite as self-aware as maybe he was when he was younger, less powerful, less on top of the world, less sort of the kind of guy who would hang out with Elon Musk. And I wanted to talk about his SNL monologue specifically because it's something that I've thought a lot about. I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about on my show much yet. And yeah, I mean, maybe I can kind of start with my perspective on it and then I'd love to hear yours. But I had a very unique experience in a way of, because it's my job at the Daily Beast to watch SNL and then comment on it, write about it in some way. And so I was looking forward to watching Chappelle's monologue, very curious to see what he would do. And I really came away from it feeling like he was echoing the same anti-Semitic statements that got Kanye in trouble and that have caused so much of a stir there. So I wrote that. I'd got a lot of blowback from people on Twitter, elsewhere, who were very unhappy to hear that. And I think I kind of felt like I was in the minority in a way, at, the, at least in the early days at the beginning. And I think more people have sort of started to come out and, and say that as well. well. I've been to Hollywood. No one's y'all to get mad at me. I'm just telling you, I've been to Hollywood. This was just what I saw. It's a lot of juice. Like a lot. Thing. You know what I mean? There's a lot of black people in Ferguson, Missouri. Doesn't mean we run the place. <laughs> I could see if you had some kind of issue, you know what I mean? You might go out to Hollywood and you might, might start connecting some kind of lines and you could maybe adopt the delusion that the Jews run show business. It's not a crazy thing to think but it's a crazy thing to say out loud in a climate like this. 
but there was a sense of, oh, it's just jokes. He's sort of dancing on the line, but not crossing it, which I can kind of see that point of view. But watching it just live for the first time and reacting to it, I it definitely rubbed me the wrong way. So I was really to hear what you thought about it. If I recall correctly, I think I know I really liked your piece. I think I retweeted it. Yeah, thank you. I only bring that up to say that I agreed with it. And I remember watching it and thinking, and I didn't watch it live. I watched it on video the next morning or something like that because I can't with Saturday Night Live. But there were two things about it. One, it was funny. There were very funny parts to it. God, I agree with that too, yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing about a Chappelle as opposed to an Elon Musk or a Kanye. He's funny. And you're watching that monologue. It's really like it's two things can be true at the same time. And you can be funny while at the same time, the things you're saying are in a lot of cases, in a lot of instances in that monologue were really off-putting to me. And to me, weren't really any different from what Kanye had said at the time. This was, we should remind people, this was before Kanye's whole Hitler is my best friend thing. So this is just when Kanye had been talking about the Jews running Hollywood and stuff like that. Yeah, and DEFCON 3 and all that. Right. And so Chappelle's big thing was that, like, he was basically saying, he was basically agreeing with Kanye, but saying, you shouldn't have said that. And then he was being kind of funny about why you shouldn't say that. But at the same time, he wasn't taking issue with the ideas that Kanye had put forth. Exactly. Yeah. Like you were watching someone who is legitimate, as you said, Dave Chappelle is a comedic genius. And there's, there's one thing I hate. It's the people who, once they decide they don't like someone, there's, well, he was never funny or, oh, he was, his movies were never good. That's garbage. If it's about Woody Allen, that's garbage. If it's about Dave Chappelle, it's just garbage. And Chappelle hasn't stopped being funny. It's just that it's feeling feels like the groups he's training his a lot of his humor on, trans people in particular, that's just not funny in 2022. And given the state of the world, it's, it's not funny to me anyway. It doesn't mean that Dave Chappelle was never funny. Or, and obviously, you're not saying that, I know. But I see that from people now. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is one of the... Dave Chappelle's in the pantheon of comedy. But what he did, and I don't know if you read Hannah Einbinder, who... Yes. One of the yes. stars of the show Hacks. She wrote a great thing, a response to the Chappelle monologue. Yeah, that was really one of my favorite things that, that came out around all of that. Me too. Absolutely. It was so affirming in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And basically, she said exactly what you and I are saying now, but it was really well written. And that, and she ended it by saying, these men who pick on marginalized groups are establishment bullies reinforcing the status quo. Not at all the job of a comedian. Like people always say, well, the job of a comedian is to be funny. And yes, above all, yes. But comedy does not historically side with the empire however you want to phrase that. Like it generally, I know they're so overused, but the expressions punching up and punching down. Yeah, it's relevant. I mean, it, they're a cliche kind of for a reason. Right. I mean, punching down, like making fun of mentally handicapped people, like just as an example, that's something that 15, 20 years ago, everyone probably thought was funny. And now everyone is sort of like, we've sort of grown and we know that that's not funny and we shouldn't have been laughing at it back then. But even if we did, we know better than to laugh at it now. And it's just because we've grown and learned as people. And it's not its not censorship and it's not whatever word you want to use, political correctness. It's just like, no, that's actually really icky. Society, we like to think, progresses and moves forward. But then you have people like 
Chappelle and you have people like Bill Maher and people like that who their big thing is, well, I was, I haven't changed. I'm exactly what I used to be. And you guys have just gone, you've gone too far. You're too woke. You're too whatever. And I I think I said this on one of our podcasts, the word progress is in the word progressive. So Yes. The idea is, yes, you don't freeze in place with what you believe and you learn and you progress, you know? Yeah. Bill Maher bragging that he hasn't changed is not as good of an argument as he thinks it is. (laughs) Right. And that's not an argument for saying that I'm still a liberal or I'm still progressive. Well, it's like, no, you're not. Like, by definition, you're not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've sort of wandered off of the Chappelle thing, but there was straight up anti-Semitism in the Chappelle thing, and he couched it better than Kanye did, and and he was able to be funny about it, but it doesn't change the fact that it was there. And look, Saturday Night Live has had a not-so-great run lately of having people on their show that— Like Elon Musk. Like Elon Musk, like Donald Trump. And it's like, on the one hand, they invite these guys on to host the show, and then two weeks later, they'll be making jokes about them as if they weren't complicit. They've definitely gone hard on Elon since he was on. Yeah. Chappelle, not so much. No. It starts to get annoying after a while. It's like, well, you did that. You tried to normalize these guys, and it's— super annoying, but it's silly to me to say he's not funny, but it's also silly to me to to look at that monologue and say, like, they were just jokes. They were funny jokes. It's like, because they weren't. I mean, yes, in some sense, the jokes were funny, but they weren't just that. As someone who hosts a comedy podcast, who interviews comedians every week, I hate being a comedy scold or being seen that. So it's hard, I think, to come out against this stuff and think it would be very easy to do what a lot of other people who write about SNL did, which was just sort of say Chappelle comments on Kanye kind of and be vague about it. But I felt like I wanted to take a little bit of a stand on it. And especially also as a Jewish person. And I didn't hear people saying that. And I think it's interesting that of comedians that Hannah Einbinder has kind of stood alone as a comedian speaking out against it. We haven't heard from Jerry Seinfeld was asked about it. He didn't wasn't really willing to condemn it in any way. I haven't heard Amy Schumer say anything. John Stewart pretty much defended Chappelle when he was on Colbert talking about it. It was kind of in that conversation up to Colbert to be the one to push back and say, I don't know about this. It was He seemed to be more on the side of that there was some anti-Semitism going on. So that was a really interesting conversation, I thought. People have the right to have a negative reaction to what people say on stage. I've gotten it a million times. You've gotten it a million times. Sure, absolutely. So what do you imagine a response is to something? If people perceive anti-Semitism in someone's in, well, in what all, Kyrie Irving posts, right. or uh, what Kanye says, or what Dave said on Saturday night, what do you think a, a good response well, first would of all, be? I think just reflexively naming things anti-Semitism is as reductive as some of the things that they might be saying. It immediately shuts down a conversation. I, I would the, say that people said that they perceived uh, a, a, a promulgation of, even if, if with a comedic intention, a promulgation of anti-Semitic tropes. That doesn't mean the person is an anti-Semite. Comedy is, is reductive. And I think part of what it is, is we play with tropes because everyone has prejudice in their lives and, and in the way that they view things. And comics rely on those prejudices as a shorthand for our material. Even the wokest of comics plays with tropes to a certain extent. 
you think in a sense that it's, I don't know if this is counterintuitive or what, but in a sense, it's easier for non-Jewish comedians to speak up on it? Mm, Yeah, maybe. Because you run the risk, I want to be sort of careful how I say this, but you sort of run the risk of, oh, you know what? Let me pull it up because Hannah Heinbinder actually mentioned this. Playing a victim or kind of being... She said, so when Jews say, hey, there was anti-Semitism in there, folks go, you're too sensitive, learn to take a joke. And I think there was some risk for, there is that risk. And like you said, as someone who is like you, who is Jewish and loves comedy and was vaguely in that world for a little bit. I don't ever want to be the person saying, well, you can't say that about my people. And I mean, look, I was disappointed by Jon Stewart in the instance that you're talking about. I watched that interview and you're right. It was Colbert who really took a strong stand about it. It brings me back to that thought that it's like you don't want to be seen as the comedy police and you don't want to be seen as the person saying the scold. And particularly when it's about your own people, there's part of you that thinks, ah, maybe I just need to lighten up and have a sense of humor about myself. Because if Chappelle had said similar things about another group, I don't think Jon Stewart, I think his reaction would have been different. Yeah. And I mean, and I felt that even in myself, like I was watching the Chappelle thing and I was kind of put off by the what I saw as anti-Semitism. And then he's talking about Herschel Walker. And I thought those jokes were pretty funny. And so I also had to look at myself a little bit and say, why do I think that's so much funnier? I think there's an objective element to that, but there's also, there might be a subjective part of that too. The most ominous sign in midterms, I believe, would be Herschel Walker, who I, I don't want to speak badly of because he's black. <laughs> but I have to admit, he's, um, he's observably stupid. when he's not talking, his mouth be open a little bit like. <laughs> he's the kind of guy that looks like he thinks before he makes a move on tic-tac-toe. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I'm not patting myself on the back for this because it was an easy call. But when Kanye first made his remarks, my immediate thought was, uh, now there are going to be groups, including Jewish groups, that call for call him out on this. And then people are going to say, see, this just proves he was right. Right. That's They can always go back to that. And it happens almost every time. And I don't know. It's weird when the tropes about you are that you're too powerful. <laughs> because mm-hmm. then yeah. it almost insulates them. Like I said, it, it makes it easy be- for them because then if, if there's any pushback, you just say, see, you're proving my point. Yeah. And at the same time, I think if John Stewart was hosting SNL and said what Dave Chappelle said about black people, that wouldn't have gone over well either. No, exactly. And as well it shouldn't have. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Look, because there is that bit of truth that a lot of Jewish people work in Hollywood, which is different from running Hollywood. So you take that sliver of truth and you just amplify it. And then if you say, well, wait a minute, what are you doing? And then people are like, oh, are you saying there aren't a lot of Jews in Hollywood? And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But that's <laughs> not what he was saying. Yeah, that's not why he was saying it. Right, exactly. It's been fascinating to watch the different reactions to it. And I've really, talking about your interviews with comedians uh, for a second, I've been enjoying them, I think, especially because you really go at this stuff very directly in a way that sometimes I feel like I can't or don't, where you really ask comedians, what specifically about cancel culture, what does it mean to you? What do you think of when you hear that phrase? And so what is that? What do you feel like you've taken away from those conversations with the comedians? Like now that you've asked that same question to a bunch of different people, what do you feel like you've learned from that? 
they all had a very similar reaction, I thought, which I will say was not unexpected. And the people I had on, the Patton Oswalt's, the Paul F. Tompkins, Andy Richter, yeah, uh, Andy Kindler. Bunch. Yeah. So it, I can't say that I was surprised by their answers, but I thought they were all really interesting because they all, they sort of focused on different aspects of it. But what it all came down to was it was basically shut the hell up. It's just, I think it might've been Andy Kindler and I got in a discussion and it was basically like, they try to frame it as you're not letting people be funny as if the only way to be funny is to make your tired old, just sort of hacky jokes about different races and about the genders and whatever. And that really bugs me. Like they make it seem like, well, you have two choices. One is either you can go see one of these comedians who will tell it like it is or you can go see someone who's not funny. And it's like, no, that's not, first of all, that's not how it works. They all just sort of like, if you could hear someone roll their eyes, like that's the response that I imagine everyone of them, as they were answering, rolling their eyes, not at the question, but just at the concept of cancel culture as it applies to comedy. I think that's why I've been hesitant to ask my guests that exact question, because I feel like they're so sick of it. They're so sick of hearing about cancel culture, and or most of them are, except for the ones who like to complain about it. And those are the people I generally don't have on. Look, I'll be honest, when I first wrote the question, and I guess it was for Kindler, because I think, oh no, it was for Tompkins, because he was my first guest of ilk. I was a little worried about about it too, because I'm sick of talking about cancel culture and I hate the phrase and I just, it makes me roll my eyes. But I thought here's a chance to, to get people who are actually in the business. And someone like Paul Tompkins, who was the first person I talked to, is someone who he's up for a lot of jobs and he works in a lot of different realms in Hollywood. So he does voice acting, he does, he just does so many different things. I figured out ah, maybe he'll have a good take on it, which he did, of course, because he's a super smart guy. But then it just struck me. I was like, you know, what? I think this is actually a good question for, I'm going to keep using this question. And part of it is because New Abnormal is a political podcast. So it was a way to get into politics and culture with these guys. So I just thought, you know what? I just want to point out, it's not at all because I'm lazy and just wanted to reuse the same <laughs> question every time. And I know our producer, Jesse, has accused me of that. On various times. Oh, yeah. And I just want to state for the record that to all the people out there who Jesse has been saying that to, it is not true. <laughs> it is jealousy on Jesse's part that he's even saying that about me. He wishes he could think of questions like that. Yeah. Yes. And he's just jealous of me and my lifestyle in general, <laughs> my constant partying and my famous friends and whatever. But <laughs> I am jealous of that part. <laughs> we could talk about this more offline. It just struck me as an interesting question for across the board, since it is as much as I'm tired of it. And those guys, when I could tell from their reaction, they're like, oh my God, I just, not at me, but they were just like, these people need to shut the fuck up. Like enough with blaming cancel culture for everything. They were all very upfront about that. And it was interesting to me. Yeah. I wonder heading into this next year, if that is an issue that's going to grow or recede. I feel like everyone on all sides kind of wants it to recede in some ways, but then at the same time, you don't want people to just run wild and get away with everything. So I don't know. It's a tough question that I'm sure we'll continue to grapple with. I don't think it is going away. I'm old enough to remember when politically incorrect was the term and cancel culture has kind of superseded that, even though it 
vaguely means the same thing. So I feel like this is not going to go away because now the big word is, which is another word that has been so bastardized that I'm so sick of it. And I think it should be banned from the English language, unfortunately, is woke. I think it's already replacing it. I think instead of hearing about cancel culture, we just hear about the woke mob, the woke mob, the woke mind virus, as Herr Musk likes to say all the time. (laughs) I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's just going to mutate a little bit. And I think itself is a mutation of the original sort of politically incorrect arguments that went on as far back as the 80s and probably further back than that. But I'm not quite that old, so I don't know. I hope that where we can arrive on this stuff, and I think that this is something that everyone should be able to agree on, is that comedians really should be able to say whatever they want to say, and we should be able to criticize it. Yeah, and nobody's arguing. That's the thing, is that all the guests I had, the Patton Oswalt's, all those guys, nobody was saying these guys shouldn't be allowed to work. Literally nobody is saying that. They're just saying, like, yeah, you are going to make the jokes you're going to make, and people are going to react the way they're going to react. And if you don't understand that jokes that people laughed at in the 90s or even five, six years ago are jokes that people are no longer laughing at or that a lot of people, are I'm not going to say everyone, but they're jokes that a lot of people suddenly aren't laughing at. That's on you as a comedian. That's on you as a comedian to either grow with the times or keep doing your stuff. That's the reaction you're going to get now. This is not the heyday of Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, we miss the heyday of Andrew Dice Clay, don't we? We do. Hope you enjoyed checking out this episode of The New Abnormal. We're back every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend and keep the conversation going. This podcast is a Daily Beast production with production by Jesse Cannon and Seamus Calder. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.